Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. This is Joey Brannon and Devin Dash, and this is episode 36. So in episode 36, this is our first episode of the new year. Devin, what is the topic for the first episode in 2020? Today, we are going to be talking about 52 strategic to-dos for 2020. All right, so 52 sounds like it has some kind of symbolic meaning. So what would you say the meaning of 52 strategic to-dos is instead of, say, 51 or 50 or 100? What, what, what significance does 52 have? Well, I like the idea of 50 or 51 because that means vacation. But <laughs> Good point. 52 is a symbolic of the 52 weeks that we have in a year. Right. And so we talk about strategic planning is the fun part, right? That's where we get the, the, the team in a room and we got a, a blank whiteboard and all this blue sky, blue ocean space of what are we going to accomplish in the future? And everybody leaves those annual planning sessions or the big strategy sessions kind of pumped up and, and ready for all the things that they can accomplish. But we know that execution happens on a weekly basis. So we may plan once a year, but we have to execute 52 times a year. So when we talk about 52 to-dos, strategic to-dos for 2020, we're kind of driving home this point of you have to execute every single week. You can't If you execute once a month... Um, it's not often enough. Once a quarter, definitely not enough. Once a year, when when companies come to us and they've had a very bad experience with strategic planning, it's typically because they've done like the once a year exercise and then it sat on a shelf and nobody did anything with it. So 52 times is 52 weeks. Once a week, you're actually going to work on the business, executing the plan. And we should say that uh, we're not going to get to all 52 items today. It would take us a long, long, and you and I are long-winded. I'm probably the long-winded one anyway. Uh, so we wouldn't do, we're not going to do all 52, but we'll kind of cherry pick and go through the ones that we think are, are more interesting than the others. But uh, this parallels a blog post uh, that will be linked up in the show notes. You can go there and see all 52 items. Uh, but, you know, when we start talking about uh, the 52 different areas. Like I would also say this isn't necessarily prescriptive. If you and I went in to work with a specific client, we wouldn't be taking the same 52 items to every client. This is more just a way for us to help business owners wrap their head around the idea that somewhat simple and mundane tasks uh, done over and over again, not, not the same task, but just constantly working on the business over the course of a year can have a huge impact. Yeah, you know, and, and to that point, I was just reflecting that, that exact point uh, on an email that a client sent to us. And they've been doing this strategic initiative for about uh, the last year and a half. And, you know, sure, slowly but surely, as they've continued month by month uh, focusing on this, this program that they're doing, they've generated almost a million dollars in additional business just mm-hmm. through this program. And um, if I'm honest, I was skeptical at first. I, didn't, I wasn't quite sure. Um, but it just goes to show that even, even the most practically simple, you know, it doesn't have to have all the, the bells and whistles as far as the strategy. If it's something that you commit to doing on a weekend and week out on a day-by-day basis, or it's something you commit to on a weekly basis, um, then it, it is effective in the long run. And it's just persistence that pays off. Yeah, and we're not talking about, um, you know, taking an entire day a week off. Like when we, you and I were talking about this idea of 52 different activities you could do every week, 
we were saying, look, give me 60 to 90 minutes. So every one of the things that we're going to talk about can be accomplished in 60 to 90 minutes. Now, there are some things that you will you will be able to accomplish in 60 and 90 minutes, but they will yield insights that could produce weeks, if not months, of follow-on activity, right? And so that's just that's the nature of the beast. If if in 60 or 90 minutes you discover that one of your services is obsolete and you need to phase it out, it might take you three or four or five months, you know, to figure out what is the plan to phase that out, what are we going to replace it with, all that stuff. So I don't want to I don't want to oversell the fact that you can make a huge difference in 60 to 90 minutes. But I also think that there are most business owners out there are struggling to get out of the day-to-day weeds of the business. They're struggling to find any time to close the door and sit down and think about kind of the important things. And so this is meant to say, look, don't try to don't try to accomplish it all. Let's just take small bite-sized pieces. And if you go to the website, axiomstrategic.com and, and look under the blog post, you'll see these 52 items. And just uh, just take one a week and take sixty to ninety minutes. And you know maybe the first thing that we'll talk about, the first one is actually like number fifty two. Like we're <laughs> working backwards, but fifty two is identify the ninety minutes during the week that you're going to work on this stuff, and then put it on your calendar. And so you know if it, the, for a lot of people, the easiest way to do that is to say. What's the slowest part of my week? You know, is it maybe it's Monday morning or maybe Monday morning is the busiest part and it's Friday afternoon or maybe you got everything going on every morning's busy except for Wednesday. So you say, okay, I'm going to take Wednesday mornings and I'm going to plug in this recurring appointment to my calendar and I'm going to make sure that that um, I set this time aside. But what you said earlier was was really interesting. Like, well, I like the idea of 50 or 51 because it talks about vacations but you and I know the owner can take a vacation, but the business doesn't. And so even on the times when, let's say you, you've said every Wednesday morning from, say, 7 to 8.30 or from 11 to 12.30, whatever it happens to be, this is when I'm going to set that side of time. Oh, but this week I'm going to a conference, you know, and I can look at my calendar. And we all have calendaring apps, and this is a great time of year to do it. Uh, to kind of look forward over the next year and say, well, I know I've got this conference I'm going to. I know I'm taking vacation here. I know that on this particular week I'm going to be, you know, I don't know, sailing to Tahiti or whatever it is. And you go, okay, i got to find a different 90-minute block either behind that week or in front of that week to make sure that I, I continue to get this stuff done. And the research shows that if you decide not, you know, we hear all this stuff about written goals, you know, people who write down their goals are much more likely, you know, five times more likely or 10 times, whatever the statistic is to accomplish them as people who don't have written goals. The other thing that we know, and the thing that we're trying to push here is that if you will decide when and where you're going to work on a task, then the odds of you actually doing that thing shoot through the roof. And they've done this mostly with university students and saying, like, when are you going to study for this exam and where are you going to study? So they say, well, I'm going to study on Wednesday night, but I'm also going to st- I'm going to take it a step further and say, I'm going to study in this particular carol at this particular part of the library. And those students are, are much, much, much more likely to follow through and actually do the thing. And that's the same thing we would say here. Just go ahead and maybe your first 60 to 90 minutes of working on the business this year isn't even working on the business at all. It's working on your calendar and saying, when and, and where am I going to actually spend 60 to 90 minutes a week 
working on the business. Yeah, I like that too. Um, I was being joke. I was joking a little bit about uh, fifty-one to fifty-two weeks, but because because the reality is, is we all, I think most business owners, unless they're in a twenty-four hour, seven day a week business that doesn't close for holidays, um, a lot of us have taken time off in the past. Well, as we've been recording this, we took time off in Christmas mm-hmm. to to kind of be with our family, and maybe it was a week, maybe it was two weeks. But the chances of us not thinking about the business at all are very slim. In fact, I had a conversation with my wife. She, you know, the, the last two days before we were coming back, and she said, "Are you ready to go back to work?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it and thinking about what what I'm looking forward to for 2020." And that, in and of itself, is that 90 minute appointment. Mm-hmm. Just spending that time, and and not in a check your email kind of way, but re- retreating from the, the door and the mundane and the fire of the business to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Like you said, working on the business. We, we all do it, and we, we probably do it more than 52 times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's important to set the 52 times. Yeah. So just to start off, I'll probably cover like the first three or four items all in one shot because you and I both know exactly what they are. Like if you're starting from ground zero, what's the first thing you should do in 2020? It's talk about your values and then understand what your vision is, articulate what why it is that you jump out of bed in the morning to go work on these things and then come up with a mission statement. So those four are kind of like your first month, right? And so people who've listened to the podcast before, they know that we're always talking about values, vision, why, mission, and we do it in that order for very particular reasons. Come, comes from you know how we believe this stuff works best. But the, the takeaway that I would say on this podcast is like 60 to 90 minutes is usually enough. You know, we've worked with business owners who do the homework that we ask them to do. And you say, you know, like, hey, how long did it take you to come up with these values? You know, and they don't tell us that it took days and days and days. It's like, oh, you know, the last one that I remember happened a few weeks ago. And and this particular business owner said, yeah, I sat down last night and, you know, worked on this stuff. And the stuff that he brought to the table was phenomenal. You and I were kind of blown away by how much progress he had made. Uh, so it doesn't have to take a long time. When you talk about values, it's what are the three or four values that you want this business to exemplify? And then also, like, what are the definitions of those values? You know, and I think it might be important here for our listeners to to get an idea of why it doesn't take so long. Why? What makes this something that you can do in, in 60 to 90 minutes? Um, and, and I'll answer it for you in case, not to put you on the spot, but is is because they're your values. Right. We're not asking them to go reach out and search for some, you know, pie in the sky market ready value that looks good on paper. We're asking them to to really search their own heart and go, what are the things in my life that I I value most? Mm-hmm. And and list the three or four and then develop definitions for those things and how they're going to play themselves out in your business. Right. And in the same vein, once you've done that and you move on to vision, Maybe the easiest way for us to articulate vision is just to say, what's the goal you have for your business over the next 10 years? You know, 10 years is far enough away. It's really hard for you to figure out how you're going to get there. But 10 years is near enough for you to understand what is feasible, what's a good stretch, what can I wrap my head around being able to accomplish over the next 10 years. And whether you call it a big, hairy, audacious goal or you call it a vision statement or, you know, what, whatever your particular semantics are, all we're talking about is being able to identify for the people who work with you, where are you guys going over the next five, seven, eight, ten 10 years? And like you said, 
it doesn't have to be this grand publicly approved, you know, ready for publication on the website type of thing. It's like, no, if I, if I, if I just sat you down and we're having a heart to heart and I said, where do you want to be in 10 years? What's the answer you would give me? That's, it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. And then when we talk about why, what is the why that you have, you know, what rolls you out of bed in the morning? I would say that's, you know, if you sit down with a, an empty yellow legal pad and just write two or three paragraphs about why you do what you do and why accomplishing your vision is important. Why does it matter to the world that your company accomplish your vision? And, and like you said, there's no right or wrong answer. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to grade this thing. You and I might sit down with a business owner and go, I, I kind of see where you're going. Can you firm up this language a little bit here or there? But you and I are never going to sit down with a business owner and go, that's, cr- that's stupid. Like, <laughs> right. What are you thinking? Like, those values suck. Right. That's not a vision statement. Why? That's not a good why. You know, go back and read Senex book. Like, th- this kind of stuff doesn't have a a uh, quantifiable grade you know from a to f or from you know 0 to 100 it's simply you getting clear about why you do what you do and what it is that you're trying to accomplish and if you don't have those things un- if you don't understand those things in your own mind it's going to be very very difficult for you to get other people to come along with you other other than just for a paycheck like that's the only other reason they would show up is just for the paycheck. Maybe they like your personality. Maybe they enjoy kind of working around you. But if they don't have a sense of where you're going or why you're doing what you're doing or what values are important, like at, at some point you have a bad day and it just does become about the paycheck. So what else on this list, I should ask you, what jumps out on the list of 52 items? I think in line with everything that we've just talked about here, draw out the org chart that that business needs mm-hmm. to function uh, in, in a competitive way in the market. So like, uh, so if we said, give me your 10-year vision, the next thing we might ask them to do the following week or you know, if, a few weeks down the road is, draw me the org chart. What is the business going to look like from a people standpoint in 10 years if you've accomplished this thing? Or you're like right on the verge of accomplishing this thing. And that's, a, that's not, that's not a, a, an original idea from Axiom, from Joey or Devin. That comes right out of the E-Myth. E-myth yep. um, and it's a very helpful exercise just for getting – and it helps in a couple of ways. Number one, it helps you to understand how the roles and responsibilities should develop over time in the organization. And if you, if you draw that org chart and in 10 years it says that you've got a full-time IT person, you know that at some point you're going to have to hire somebody and you're going to have to stop doing it. Or at, you're going to have to hire somebody and at some point stop paying somebody else, you know, a third-party contractor or something to do it. Uh, you know that at some point you're going to need a sales manager, you know, if that's part of your 10-year vision. And so you begin to approach the business with a little bit more. One of the kind of common themes in Gerber's book is Gerber. Is yep, it, Michael know, Gerber. Michael Gerber. One of the common themes in his book is this idea of systems and processes are the things that allow your business to grow. And so when you develop that org chart, as it will look, you know, seven, eight, ten years down the road, what you're doing is getting some foresight into what systems and processes are going to exist and who is going to be primarily responsible for those. And it's a very helpful exercise for business owners to start to understand they can't do it all and they're going to have to offload some of this stuff at some point. So why would you do that today? Well, that starts today because when you look at that org chart, uh, if, if you're at the top, as you know, say we're talking to the CEO or the business owner in this situation, and they're at the top, who is your next hire? 
it's it's not usually somebody who's directly underneath you. Like if there's a sales manager in there and and that's part of your 10-year plan, your next hire today is probably not going to be your sales manager. Your next hire today might be a customer service rep because you're having to answer a lot of, you know, detailed customer service issues and you need to delegate that to somebody. And so that allows you to understand what's the priority for the positions that I'm going to need to add as I grow this business. And it's a very practical way to approach you know, hiring and what your plan for bringing new people on. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now back to the episode. What about this one? I, I like the idea that new year, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a vision year. It's 2020. Yeah, you know, there's so a, many play on words. Cool year, yeah. What if we get really focused on uh, understanding our customer experience and, and getting very clear vision about what the process looks like for our customers as they uh, come in through to our business as a lead and then and then a prospect and then you know hopefully a future sale so let's i like this one on the list uh do a new customer walkthrough of your business yeah so this is the idea that uh, it can be different depending on the type of business and these are pretty generic so it's not to say again this isn't prescriptive if you've got an online business really hard to kind of do a walkthrough right <laughs> but if you have a bricks and mortar business uh, that customers come to then it's very easy to say, what does a new customer experience look like? And I would say that 60 to 90 minute little exercise, this to do, it probably should start before you ever arrive, right? This should start on your way to the business. So let's say you do have a bricks and mortar facility that customers do come to visit. Like, is your place easy to find? Is it, I mean, you've been going there for the last 15 years, like every day or 20 years or whatever, right? And you could, your car drives itself. So you don't need directions. You don't need signage. You don't need to understand where to park or where the employee entrance is versus the customer entrance. But the very first time a new customer comes, all that stuff is in play. And so if you say, okay, my 60 to 90 minutes, maybe it's in the middle of the day. You're like, okay. I'm going to get in my car. This sounds crazy, but there's huge value in this. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go four blocks down the road, and I'm going to approach this business as if I'm a brand new customer. What does the neighborhood look like? I mean, that's hugely important. If, you, if you're selling to, say, an upscale customer, but the, the neighbors for a half mile in either direction scream low-end, you know, they're, they're like shade tree mechanic shops and thrift stores and low rent districts and stuff like that, and you're trying to sell uh, high dollar interior design services, that's going to be a problem. You may have a hard time getting customers to come to your location in an age of Google Maps and Street View and then being able to see what the neighborhood looks like. Right, so may, that may point to the fact that in 10 years, if I'm going to accomplish this vision, I need to be in a different neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But let's say the neighborhood's fine, but you pull into the parking lot 
And what do you see? As a new customer, what do you see? Is the parking lot fresh blacktop with bright white yellow, bright white lines, or does it have weeds growing through it? Is it does it need to be resurfaced? Are the curbs damaged? Is the landscaping out front shoddy? Uh, is there an easement between you and the main road that the county's responsible for, but they never take care of it? All of that stuff is being noticed by people who've been to your business the first time because they haven't seen the business yet. So they're looking at everything. They're looking at the neighbors. They're looking at the road. They're looking at the parking lot. They're looking at the signage to try to understand where they're at. And the stuff that you take for granted every day is very top of mind for them. And so this exercise of approaching the business as a new customer from a physical facility standpoint is hugely valuable. Just we all get accustomed to things and we kind of get blind to the details. And then what does it look like when they walk in? You know, does the door open or does the door stick? You know, I've been to businesses where, you know, it was like a Herculean effort just to get the door open because it drags on the concrete or the mats, you know, in the way. Or when you open it, it bangs into a chair that's just inside the front door. And you know, all of that stuff, if you put on a fresh set of eyes, you're capable of noticing this stuff and making a laundry list in, in 60 to 90 minutes. Again, you could come up with a list that take could take months to implement. You know, like, oh, wow, the, the parking lot needs to be resurfaced. The building needs to be painted. A light in the sign is broken. Um, the signage on the door isn't clear about where they go once they come in. Uh, it doesn't say push or pull. You know, and you talk to the receptionist, she's like, oh, yeah, half the people are pulling their guts out, you know, and it's a push door. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Uh, all sets the table for every other experience the customer is going to have with you. And if you're not a bricks and mortar business, the the path to your business may look different. It may start with your website or it may start with a phone call. And you can do the same thing, you know, a pr- walk through as a new customer would and try to understand what their experience is like and what, what you can do to do two things. Number one is make them feel like they've come to the right place. Right? Did I did I make the right choice in choosing to try to do business? Because they they may not have closed the business yet, like they may not have closed the deal, so they may still be in kind of the prospect buyer stage. But I, did I make the right choice in trying to to work with you? And the second thing is is it is it unambiguous what the next step is? You know, I, we went to a business one time. This was probably ten years ago. It was a financial planning business. And the, the, uh, they weren't using their entire office space in the building. And they had a conference room at the front that they used that was just inside the right front door. And they had an office to the left that they didn't use, but they rented out. And then there was another office that was being rented out you know, a little bit farther down the hallway to the right. I can't remember what the second thing on the left was. But there are basically four rooms at the front of the building that the financial planning office wasn't using. And so they had arranged their offices. Even the reception desk was kind of at the far end of the hallway. It's kind of a weird setup, but it was an old building. In this, and, and they had these beautiful water views out the back of the building. And that's what they're trying to take advantage of, you know, get, get clients to the back of the building where they could see this great view. But when you walked in, there was nothing indicating what you should do as a new customer. And this business had a ton of walkthrough traffic because they had like a 30,000 uh, vehicle count per day going by the business. So they had a lot of walkthrough traffic and lots of name recognition because they'd been in the same spot for like 20 years. And when I, when I walked in, I experienced this. Like I didn't know like which way to go. 
And I was kind of standing there in this limbo of, do I, do I continue to walk down the hallway? Am I welcome? Am I supposed to wait here for somebody? And when I said something after we you know, met the owner and we started working at the business, and I talked to the, the front desk person. I said, how many people walk in and don't know what to do? She's like, oh, no, nobody knows what to do. I, I wind up like 10 times a day, I get up from my desk and I have to walk down the hallway, you know, and they can see me coming, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm basically welcoming them as I'm walking down the hallway. And I'm like, well, what's that experience like? She's like, it's terrible. And, you know, it's like they, their first experience with us is they don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't even, they don't even know if they're in the right place. And that's what they're asking her. Like, are we're here to see Sue. And where is this? Where? Oh yeah. This is Sue's office. Come on back. So very simple fix. We had them go to Office Depot, which at the time was a thing. Now everybody gets everything on Amazon. But Office Depot was a big thing back then. And go to Office Depot and get one of these little signs on a pedestal. And you could, like, change the message on the sign, right? And you buy the little white letters and you plug them into the slots. And it just it basically said, you know, proceed to the reception desk. And it had a little arrow that's kind of pointing straight forward. Changed all the problems that the front desk was having. And when people came in the door, there was zero ambiguity about what to do next. So if you don't, if you haven't ever looked at your business through those eyes, and again, it doesn't matter whether it's a web business, if if you're attracting people to your virtual business through your website and it's not certain what a new prospect should do after they visit and they've gotten enough information to decide they wanted to take the next step, what is the next step? Is it clear? Can they get to it on the website? Or if you're a physical business, uh, I experienced this. I was telling you about this today. Our family went camping over the holiday weekend, right? And I park at the campsite, and I walked into the wrong entrance, and I found myself basically standing behind the ranger's desk at this state park with a very upset employee who was surprised that I was there, (laughs) you know, trying to do her job for her behind the desk. And it was like simple things like signage, uh, even signage in from the parking lot telling people where to go, has a great deal to do with their first impression. Yeah, you know, I, I love that because I think the most uncomfortable human emotion is uncertainty or that ambiguity, and, and it, it doesn't just go away. And the first impressions are very real. And if we can't overcome, if we want to make our first impression different than an uncertain one, um, because I think it is... I think the statistics is it takes 26 additional first impressions to overcome that first one. Oh, geez. That's crazy. Yeah. There's uh, just an overwhelming amount of science that points to creating the best first impression. Now, again, that's that's a statistic for a reason. doesn't mean you can't overcome uh, a first impression that creates uncertainty or ambiguity. But it is a little bit, quite a bit more difficult. Yeah. Why, why fight the battle when you can just do some work on the front end and figure it out? Absolutely. So what else? What are, what are some of the other things that jump out on 52 to-do items? Well, we're family business. So I think we would uh, a lot of our businesses that we work with have a first or second generation in the business. Um, but oftentimes our spouses are a lot more tied to our businesses than we like to admit. Mm-hmm. I like this one. Ask your spouse to list the 10 best and 10 worst things about the business. Yeah. And so this is probably not one I would recommend for date night. (laughs) Keep keep the fare a little lighter for date night. But, um, you know, when we work with with family businesses, I think that there are definitely situations where the spouse is involved in day-to-day operations. 
Um, the spouse is not involved in day-to-day operations, but is very involved in key decision-making. And then there are cases when the spouse isn't involved in either. Like they're not involved in day-to-day. They've got their own career. They're just kind of disconnected from the business, and it's it's not something that they've ever really been involved in or their interests lie elsewhere. Um, but what you have in a spouse is, uh, number one, you have a relationship. And relationship is huge in the sense of being able to get to honesty. And honesty, you know, honest information is something that business owners find very hard to come by. We, we talk about this a lot with business owners that hire us is like one of the, the key things they're paying for is we're just going to be brutally honest with them. Like that's why we're getting paid because the customers, their customers aren't going to be honest with them. Their customers have their own issues. Their employees aren't going to be honest with them because they're signing their paychecks. The vendors aren't going to be honest with them because the vendors are worried about losing one of their customers. So who is going to look a business owner in the eye and go, this is really an issue that you have to address. And you and I both know, because we're both married, our spouses have no problem pointing out our faults and shortcomings and all the areas that we could improve, (laughs) right? So, you know, if you ask your spouse, like, what are the 10 crappy things about this business that we own? You're probably going to get uh, some pretty honest feedback. It might be easier. I I think our spouses oftentimes, too, you know, spare us um, the the critical you know, reflection or, or critical um, opinions. But uh, it might be easier to say, like, well, what are 10 things that you really enjoy about the business? What are, what are 10 things that the business gets right or that are beneficial to us and our family or whatever? And then what are 10 things that we're, we're missing? We're missing the mark on. And if you are a business owner that's interested in getting better, then you're a business owner who's seeking out critical feedback. And so why pass on one of the most valuable sources of that critical feedback? The person who, you know, hopefully loves you the most in your life is going to be able to say, hey, maybe you should think about this. You know, know, your front desk person just really gives off a bad vibe. And I know, you know, he's been there for 15 years and, you know, he knows everybody, but trust me, it's not a good vibe. Or... Um, you know, some of the stuff we're talking about in the walkthrough, like, hey, you know, the building looks like crap. I'm embarrassed to say that we own that building because it's needed a paint job for 12 years, right? Mm-hmm. And you, and so <laughs> spend a little, money, a little bit of money and get it fixed. Um, but they'll also point out things like uh, it takes you away from our family. You know, it, um, you know, we have three kids and you weren't there for the first two. You know, I'm hoping that at some point this thing starts to pay some dividends in terms of your availability for the family. Uh, that all this talk about controlling your own schedule and, you know, the freedom that comes with owning your own business, that will actually pay off one day. Uh, or it's taking a toll on our marriage, right? And so uh, the, the thing that you and I look at, a business owner, and we go, you know, are they an effective executive or not? I just had this conversation this morning with, with my business coach talking about a, a particular executive. I'm like, I just don't think this person's an effective executive. And there are lots of reasons that that could be the case. Chief among those, I have to believe, is what is your relationship like between the spouse and your business? Like, if your spouse begrudges the fact that you walk out the door to go work in the company that bears your name or that you own every day, that's probably not very good for your productivity, right? If you are giving 100% of yourself to the business and 0% to your family or your spouse, that's probably not very good 
in terms of your decision-making, your ability to empathize with employees who want to put their family first. Maybe your general manager, you're like, oh, my general manager, I just can't get him to toe the line. And he's not, he's, he wants a vacation. Like, you know, he likes to spend time with his family. Mm -hmm. you, maybe you, you, you know, you've given that up or you've fallen out of the habit and those things aren't as important to you. And your spouse can open your eyes to things that are huge blind spots in your life. And I, I think you're kind of foolish if you pass up the opportunity for that kind of feedback. But it does take some courage to ask the question. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I would encourage or, or, or ask the question, what if you're a business owner who never got married? I, I think they're out there, and I think in some ways they're – there's a lot more freedom to do things in business and make changes, but maybe they're looking for that critical eye. I think you mentioned one of the ways, which is a business coach. Mm -hmm. But what other, who else, or what other um, resources are there for us to get that kind of critical feedback? It's a it's a really good question because um, when you look at your peer group uh, as a business owner. Business owners are, are they're not necessarily like few and far between, like the world's full of them, but they're a minority. You know, I mean, most people go to work in somebody else's business. So it's highly likely that, um, you know, if you're not married, you're probably younger, statistically speaking, right? So you're younger. And you probably your relationships are, are people that you've grown up with or you went to school with or you got out of school and you guys all kind of, you know, entered the job market at the same time. And then you went on to start your own business and the rest of your your peers and colleagues, they're, they're working in somebody else's company and varying levels of supervisory responsibility and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of lonely at the top because most of your peer group is not, they're not business owners. And they can't necessarily relate to the same things that you're experiencing. Your spouse can see, if you're married, your spouse sees all the crap that you bring home and they see all the stuff that you're dealing with and the struggles and the, and they can see those blind spots. But if you're not married, you're not going home to somebody who's seeing you, you know, in hours, after hours, they're not going to see those things. And your friends, they may not be able to relate to it because they're not business owners. They just don't think that way. And so I don't, you mentioned business coach, absolutely. Get a business coach who can... Um, who get a business coach who's not depending on your monthly fee, right, for their groceries so that they can tell you hard things and they're not worried about losing a client. But also um, peer groups. I mean, you and I are both involved in a great one called C12 that's, mm, yeah. you know, Christian business owners and Christian, you know, key players group. And they share our faith, um, which uh, I believe, I personally believe that shared faith allows you to speak into somebody's life and point out blind spots from a position of safety and care that uh, may not exist in other places or or may you know, take a very, very long time to develop. And so I don't think that there's a, a, even spouses. I mean, my, my C12 guys and, and yours too will point out things in your life that your spouse can't see or they'll hold you accountable to your relationship with your spouse and how that relationship is impacted by the business in ways that your spouse may be is hesitant to because it seems self-serving, you know? So, um, yeah, if, by all means, if you're not married and you have a peer group or you have a CEO roundtable group or, you know, like a Vistage or a C12, C12 would definitely be my preference. Um, I think that those are areas you have to, if you're not asking those, those groups, Hey, what am I missing? What are the, what are the big good things about my business? And what are the crappy things about my business or about me personally as a leader? 
then you've got some blind spots almost guaranteed that, that are hurting the business. Yeah, you know, we were just having that conversation too, which in regard to a specific training module is, you know, right. what makes an effective trainer? And, and a better question might be to ask what, what things or what skills do you have that are, or, or characteristics do you ex- display that make you an ineffective trainer or an ineffective mm-hmm. leader? And, and sometimes you need that peer group to help point those things out yeah. to you. What's the bottleneck that's getting in the way to my leadership? Yeah. And nobody's going to tell me. Like my employees aren't going to tell me. My customers aren't going to tell me. My vendors aren't going to tell me. Somebody's got to tell me. I'm not married. So my spouse isn't going to tell me. Or maybe I am married, but my spouse doesn't spend a lot of time in the business. And my spouse doesn't understand all the the, the things that are wrapped up in running a business and having to juggle the priorities and and weigh the relational dynamic against all the the other stuff that has to get done, you know, caring about the people, but also making sure that we perform and get the results. And other business owners will totally get that. And, you know, it's it's really good to be able to have a a peer group that um, shares your passion for business, but also has some diversity in terms of its, its experience range. It's got some people who are maybe younger than you, people who are older than you, uh, people in different industries, because what we're talking about is not necessarily industry best practices. It's kind of leadership. And that's a kind of a universal skill that we all learn to acquire by screwing up a lot. And if we have a peer group there to point out where we're screwing up, it's a lot less painful than experiencing the ramifications of it in real time. Hi, this is Joy Brannon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you to give you the tools to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. Let's move on to another another item. This one's a little bit different. It kind of shifts gears from ones that we've been discussing so far. Call your banker and ask what services you should be using, but you're not. Okay, so there's a few on this list that are like call your CPA, call your banker, call your insurance agent. This one, call your banker and ask what services you should be using that you're not, um, is really meant to get them to think creatively about your business. Uh, you, It's hard to call them and say, like, what are you not doing for me that you should be doing for me? Like, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, that kinda, you know, if you want to get their attention, that's probably a pretty good question to ask. Right. But if you want them to think creatively, probably not a good question right. because they're going to go into defensive mode and freak out and worry about losing your account. But if you were just to say, you know, what are the things that you guys offer that I should be considering uh, and that I'm not using? It gives them a safe space to go, okay, I haven't thought, you know, here's probably the reality is, I think this is true of CPAs, it's true of bankers, it's true of insurance agents. There are definitely situations where we're like, we're just trying to keep up. And maybe you're a low maintenance customer and you've never really pushed them, or maybe you've given off a vibe of, you know, very price sensitive 
And like any option they put on the table that's going to cost money, like you're going to veto. And so they're worried about putting And so they may have limited the options they've put in front of you. So if you come to them and you say, hey, what are the, some of the things that I should be using that I'm not? It's a little bit different question that puts them in a little bit safer space. Mm-hmm. And they can think, it gives them a chance to kind of go back to square one and say, okay, if we're looking at this business, and you and I have talked about this too for some of our clients, like we have a process called a strategic assessment where we take a look at all different areas of a brand new uh, business client and we get our hands dirty in everything, you know, from IT to risk management to business processes to uh, cultural stuff. And you've said to me before, wow, you know, this, this client over here, they could probably benefit from a strategic assessment. And that, cl- that person has been a client since before the time of strategic assessments. Like they've been a client for 15 years. And so like the strategic assessment process, the tool that we now use didn't exist. Right. And so the same thing can exist in some of these other relationships. There may be things that didn't exist when you started working with this bank, but they've never been given permission to kind of bring in what's all the what are all the new things that have come to the table since we first started working together. Or maybe there were things that were on the table, but they didn't even apply to you back then because you you know those were only offered for businesses of four million dollars in sales and up, right? And you started with us when you were two million. And now you're 10 and nobody's ever given me the banker, you know, a timeout to say, hey, stop, let's reconsider this business as if they were a brand new prospect coming into the bank. And given our full menu and suite of services and capabilities, what could we be accomplishing with them if we just put it on the table and said, would you be willing to, to pay for this service? Or, you know, some of the stuff doesn't even cost. And so, you know, we've gone in situations where like remote deposit capture, you know, mm. it's like. You know, maybe maybe ten years ago, or not ten years, maybe five years ago, the banker said something about remote deposit capture. But back then, you know, maybe it was relatively new, and banks were actually charging money for it, right? And the, and the business owner was like, "I'm not paying fifty bucks a month for that." And like, never mind the fact that you and I would look at it and go, "Well, you're paying somebody fifteen dollars an hour, right. and they're spending two hours a day going to and from the bank. This is kind of the deal of a lifetime, right?" But they just they they kind of gut gut check or gut reflex, you know, it's like, I'm not paying for that. And now the banker comes back and goes, remote deposit, it doesn't cost you a thing. Like your, if your deposit balance is, you know, average balance is over $100,000, we basically give it to you for free. Like, why would you not take them up on that? It's more secure, it's more convenient, and it doesn't cost anybody time to go make a deposit. It's faster cash flow, lower working capital requirements, all that stuff. And so just giving the banker a timeout to say, hey, I want you to th- in essence, what we're asking the news, think about me like a brand new business and tell me what I should be doing. Yeah, I think that's that's so helpful. And really what it does too is is you start to leverage, I like it because you start to leverage those key relationships as a business owner. And you you and I, I use the word leverage, but you leverage them uh, to be working together and working for your business. And you know, I, I just find that that creates so much synergy and it it really does make those relationships stronger. Yeah, and, and two of the two other key relationships that are also mentioned in this list are with your CPA and your insurance um, advisor, your risk management advisor. And so with your and the reason that I put these two in the list is and and the reason the questions are phrased the way they are is because those two professions are normally relegated to the rearview mem- mirror. So in other words, CPAs 
like they tend to to help you with tax compliance. Well, tax compliance is essentially everything that happened last year. Did I get it in the right form? Did I file the right disclosures? Uh, did I take advantage of these elections or those elections, right? And the CPAs have, uh, some are better than others, but CPAs have a tremendous ability to help you manage long-term tax cost um, if they know what's coming around the corner. And so the, the way those two questions for those two professionals are phrased here is like, if, I, if you sat down with your CPA and you said, here's my 10-year vision, what should I be doing today to lower my overall tax cost? That, that's a question where your CPA can go, well, tell me a little bit more about this 10-year vision. Is this you know, one company? Are you talking about spinoff companies? Or if you're talking about four locations, are they four separate entities? Are they going to own the real estate? Are they not? How many people are going to be on payroll? Are you going to be providing health benefits? And, they, and they're, all the questions that they're asking are geared around the various tax deductions and you know, not necessarily compliance scenarios, but what availability for deductions and credits and options are there in the tax code today that would apply if you hit these benchmarks you know, five, seven, ten years from now. And the same thing with your insurance advisor. If you said, here's my 10-year vision, what should I be doing today to manage my overall cost of risk? And they might go, wow, you know, like, honestly, if you're going to be, if your 10-year vision is to be 300 employees, maybe we got to start talking about self-insuring some part of your risk. And so here, here if we're going to talk about that, let's put together some milestones for when we should start increasing your deductibles and maybe bringing in some co-insurance on top of it to help out with that. You know, and all of those things are only available if you're giving them some opportunity of what's over the horizon, what's in the front windshield, as opposed to always just holding them accountable for how they dealt with the stuff in the rearview mirror. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you on. and what's, if, if we could talk about a few more topics, what, what topic do you think would be most important for our listeners to really focus on for the next 52 weeks as they work on the business? Uh, there's a bunch that jump out. Um, and again, I would say that all of these are you know, fairly short time investments. Um, but like, here's one. It, it pays dividends in a couple areas. Number 29 says, walk through your storage lot, yard, et cetera, and make a list of all the things that need to be scrapped, dumped, or sold. Like, why is that important? So, you know, we, we talk about, and this could be, for a law practice, it could be just walking through the office. And you go, look, there's desks that aren't being used. There's storage rooms that are full of crap. There's, you know, office supplies probably f- enough for three years and, you know, instead of the six months or three months that ought to, And so what are you giving up by having all of this stuff taking up space? And, and, you know, the more crowded a space is, whether it's your garage, whether it's your living room, whether it's your office, the more it's going to impede productivity. So the idea of just kind of taking stock of what is it in your business that's getting in the way of productivity from a physical, tangible element. The other thing is that the cluttered uh, overstocking, it communicates a mentality to your employees of inefficiency. And if you've got a warehouse that looks like crap, don't be surprised if you have vehicles look like, that look like crap, that aren't kept clean and orderly. If you've got a storage room in the office or a, a supply closet that you know, is, is not organized or that has way more crap in it than you'll ever use, don't be surprised if people are wasteful in their spending on expense reports. 
Uh, and so what we're trying to get to is in 60 to 90 minutes, you can take a walkthrough and just go, look, we, we need to get rid of some of this stuff. I mean, clean this office out. We were with a business a few weeks ago, and we have managers who are in an open office environment, and you and I were driving home the point that, look, these people need some closed door time. They're begging us for a quiet place where they can spend like 60 to 90 minutes a week working on this kind of stuff. Mm. And they can't do it because they're in a bullpen environment with all of their people. And, you know, as we're talking through this problem, they're like, oh, well, there's this office, but there's all this crap in it, right? And so the to-do was get all that crap out so that people can actually use the space. And that's kind of what this particular to-do item is about. We often do that in spring. You know, we think about spring cleaning. But, man, how how refreshing is it when we get just some of that clutter out of our lives, the the objective clutter that we can, the tangible clutter, we remove it and, you know, almost, not, not that it, I believe this, but in some super spiritual way, there's like a, a mental clutter that is released. Absolutely. And, and it, it's, it really it's so freeing. Is. It really is. I mean, you can, there are studies that show that in an ordered workspace, people are more productive than they are in a cluttered workspace. It's an incredibly tangible benefit of just cleaning house. Um, here's one that, that I also like. Number 15, go through all your advertising spend for the last 12 months and determine whether you can calculate your return on investment for each vendor or channel. And this comes at directly out of our experience where they're asking us sometimes, like, should we, should we double down on our TV advertising or should we go radio? Or should we just all give it to our SEO company to make sure that our, you know, we get the front page of Google AdWords results? And we look at them and go, well, I don't know, like, how much does it cost to get a customer through radio? How much does it cost to get a customer through television? How much does it cost to get a customer through this particular, you know, periodical subscription that goes to this luxury home community? And like, and and they look back at us and they've got like this blank look on their face. We're like, so you guys don't have a way to track like where your customers come from? Like, oh yeah, there's a field in our database that says, how did you hear about us? Okay, great. Like, what does that report say? Well, it says that 70% of our customers come through us through miscellaneous. (laughs) We're like, great. I'm glad we have a miscellaneous field because it makes all of our other data useless, right? right? So, you know, this, and if you're a business owner, like here, here's the other thing about all of these items, every single item on this list, Joey and Devin can come in and we can say, hey, we think it's a great idea for you to go out and figure out what your advertising spend is on each channel or vendor that you're spending money with. What's your ROI? And the business owner can go, that sounds like a great idea. Can you take care of that for us? I'm like, sure. So... We go talk to the person who's in charge of setting up the radio advertising. We go talk to accounting about how it's recorded. We talk to the person who does the television. We talk to the vendor who sold them this periodical, whatever. And and you and I come back and we go, it's costing you $150 to get a lead through this channel and $110 a lead through this channel. And, oh, it's only like $35 a lead through this channel. And what do they do? They go, well, that's really interesting information. Or more often it's the case that we just get bogged down because this person doesn't know, this person can tell us that, they haven't been tracking this, accounting doesn't know, you know, from one month to the next what's advertising versus promotions, right? So these, these 52 ideas 
for you and I, if you and I were to go do them for our clients, they're an intellectual exercise that probably pays very little in terms of dividends. But if you're the business owner and you go to your people and you're like, what is our return on investment when we spend $200,000 in radio? And the people who work for you look back at you and they go, uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> You're probably not amused, right? right? If right. It's in, and my point is that if it's important to the business owner, it has a totally different practical impact than if it's just important to Joey and Devin as an intellectual inter- exercise. If as the business owner, you take any one of these 52 items and you make it your own, it's going to have a hundred times the impact as if Joey or Devin came in and said, we think this is a good idea for you to do this thing. There might be benefits, like you and I might be able to move the ball and create some improvement in the business, but we cannot hold a candle to the business owner who makes these things a priority. So, you know, if, if you're the business owner and you go through this list, go to our website, look at the blog post, you get all 52 items, go through the list and go, what's important to me? And if it's important to you, don't let go of it. Like one of the items on here, number 32, ask accounting to spend 90 minutes with you going over every item on the balance sheet. If a business owner is, now, if you don't care what's on your balance sheet, don't don't bother. <laughs> I mean, don't put accounting <laughs> through the work. But I would make the argument, it's in, from the from the long-term perspective of your business's financial health depends on the profitability and the balance sheet. You know, so you can't, you can't, if you look at one or the other, you're looking at one side of the coin. You have to look at both. What does the financial statement say in terms of our profitability? What does the balance sheet say in terms of our financial health? So if you as a business owner get interested in that and you sit down with accounting and you say, I, look, okay, cash, uh, what, what all's in cash? Well, there are six accounts, you know, six, six accounts. What are you talking about six accounts? Well, there's, there's three bank accounts, there's two savings accounts, and there's a petty cash account. There's a petty cash account? Yeah. How much does it say in the petty cash account? Uh, it says here $775. 700 Why do we have $700 in cash laying around, right? And then you go, well, you know, you need to ask Sue. She's responsible for petty cash, right? So then you're like, okay, I'm making a, I'm going to go talk to Sue about why the hell we have $775 <laughs> in cash sitting here. Okay, what's next? Accounts receivable. Okay, I understand accounts receivable. What's after that? Allowance for doubtful accounts. Well, what's allowance for doubtful? Well, that's that's our estimate of all the people who aren't going to pay us. Okay, well, how much is that? Well, that's $150,000. Oh, that sounds like a lot. How much of our, is our accounts receivable? Our accounts receivable is a million dollars. What? A million dollars? People owe, we've already done the work and people owe us a million dollars? You know, and so if you take an interest in the balance sheet as a business owner to understand what the financial health of your business is, that's a totally different conversation between you and accounting versus Joey and Devin going to accounting and saying, okay, we understand account. How do you come up with your allowance? Da, 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 da. And we go sit down with the, the business owner and go, like, here's your balance sheet. And they look at us and they go, okay, well, these guys must know what they're talking about. They look at balance sheets all day long. So, you know, if there was anything, if, if there's anything I needed to know, they would tell me about it. Right. 
But you and I don't know what they need to know. We don't, you and I don't know that $700 in petty cash sounds like an exorbitant amount of money or that a million dollars in accounts receivable sounds unfathomable to them. So for the business owner to take an interest in their business and to dig a little bit deeper in these 52 different areas has a totally different ramification not just for their personal understanding for the business, but for the layer of accountability that they start to spread over everything that happens. Like, I'm going to understand this, whether it's something like going through the balance sheet or item number 35, take your newest employee to lunch and ask what needs to change in the company. Totally different perspective. Number 26, take the mayor to lunch and ask what your company can do to help the city. Uh, Number 40, call your longest standing customer and ask what you can do for them to say thank you. you know, like that, that's a, think about that for a second. Call your longest standing customer and say, what can I do for you to say thank you? That's, that's kind of risky because they might say, well, I'm not very happy with right. the service that you're offering and I think you ought to give me two months free or I think you ought to comp my last order, right? And for the business owner, I mean, this is your business. So, like, if you're not interested in spending the 60 to 90 minutes to work on your business, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it, it, you're, kind of, you're kind of writing your future without really understanding what you're doing if you won't just spend this kind of time to work on it. Yeah, you know, and, and to that point, as the business owner is doing this, I, I think that it is almost a given that your employees will do the same thing. And if, if you're going to spend 60 to 90 minutes a week working on 52 key things in the business and, and you really do care about these things and you, you drive this down or up to your leadership, depending on, your leadership team, depending on how you view your org chart, and the, your people start to care about your business the way that you do, uh, they're not going to care exactly. I think that's one of the things that differentiates a sure. business owner from an employee. But but if you get key leaders who do care about the key area of the business that you've given you've given them responsibility over man how much benefit can come not just to the business itself but to the people that you serve to the employees and their families and that's really why we do what we do is is because we see the exponential impact that a business can have on the community and it's, it's all done daily and then weekly at a, at a pace that is not breakneck, not trying to, you know, win it all now, mm-hmm. but a pace that's over time methodical, doing the things that are important. Yeah, and, I, and it's important that business owners give their permission to work at that pace because you, we both know they're very driven people. Um, we know from this very simple exercise that we do with clients where we say, what should your number one priority be over the next 90 days? And and very like so there's like six people around the table right there's five employees and there's one business owner, and you know first first general manager says well you know my priority is you know get an inventory system in place and sales manager says my priority is to get everybody's closing ratio to blah 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 you know whatever get a sales manual in place and so we go around the room and like five people have these. I mean, you're like, man, that's dialed in. Like, you accomplished that. You've knocked it out of the park. We get to the sixth person who's the business owner. Like, what's your priority? 
They're like, well, the first thing we're going to do is launch three products. And the second thing we're going to do is open a new location. And the third thing we're going to do is, um, you know, I'm going to become the, the uh, chair of the National Industry Association. The fourth, I'm like, how many freaking priorities <laughs> do you want? I mean, like, if you get one of those done, it's a home run, mm. right? But the fact that you've, you're trying to put five on the table virtually guarantees that none of them are going to get done. Yeah. And so giving business owners permission to work at a 60-minute pace per week, you know, or 90-minute pace per week, um, I think is important. And, you know, it's we're not at, here's the other thing is we're not asking them to create 60 to 90 minutes out of thin air, right? We're asking them to stop wasting the 60 to 90 minutes out of the 8 to 15 hours a week that they're wasting doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Like mm-hmm. there's there are story after story. Personally, you know, friends I've I've had, who you know, I'm 46 years old, and for for good or not, I'm at that age where where folks start running into health issues, and it could be guys having strokes at a young age, it could be guys having uh, heart attacks at a young age, it could be guys dealing with cancer or guys' spouses dealing with cancer, and you know, they they get taken out of the game for six weeks, twelve weeks six months, right, where they're in a hospital or they're by a hospital bed. And guess what? The business goes on, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, you talk to them, like some of them, one guy in particular I'm thinking of, he's like, we closed, I can't remember what the, I'm going to script the figure, but, you know, he's like, we closed $400,000 worth of business the first month I was in the hospital. Like more business than we'd ever closed (laughs) ever. And And I was in the hospital and I was responsible for none of it. So what does that say? about the 50 or 60 hours a week right now that you're working. Like it, to me, it says that somewhere buried in there, you know, not necessarily buried, there's like 30 hours that you probably don't need to be spending, but certainly there's 60 to 90 minutes wedged in there somewhere you can redeem and pull out to work on the business. And mm. and just working at that pace consistently is going to make a huge difference over the next year. You don't have to shoot the moon. You don't have to accomplish it all. You just have to go to the work consistently over the next 52 weeks and not miss a week. And you'll do just fine. Yeah, it sounds to me that we've come full circle. We started off there and setting, looking at the 52 weeks on your calendar over the next year and setting aside, you know, scheduling that appointment one day a week, whatever the the freest time is during that week, 60 to 90 minutes where you're going to spend working on the business. Mm -hmm. And we've given you a list and a separate blog post of 52 things you can do during that time. And here we are talking about if you get these things done at a pace that is methodical and diligent, you are going to make big changes in your business to grow it. That's right. And there's no reason 2020 can't be your best year ever. There's no reason you as a business owner can't turn over a new leaf and start managing your time better. Uh, there's no reason your team can't start experiencing a different leader this year than they've had in the past. One of the things I'll, I'll close with is a Global Leadership Summit, which is a kind of a leadership conference that's put on every year. They have a great saying that um, you know when the leader gets better, everybody benefits. And I think that's definitely true. It's true of our small business clients. It's true of the people listening to this podcast. It's true for you and me. Mm. You know, as we get better our clients, our family members, they're going to benefit as well. Absolutely. Well said. All right. So we'll see you next week and uh, on a topic that's yet to be determined. But until then, make 2020 a great 
a great first part of the year. We'll maybe be two weeks in before the next podcast. Mm-hmm.